Freak Wide Vancouver. Free game, post game, every game presented by Bodog from sports odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J Pat here with you as it's the calm before the free agent storm J Pat that opens at 9 a.m. tomorrow. However, I'm wondering if perhaps this isn't going to be a frenzy right away and maybe we're going to have to wait a little bit for things to play out here because it looks like everybody is just trying to find some money right now. Yeah, I, I saw it was Wyshynski, I think, that uh, tweeted out he had talked to an agent who said, look for a bunch of one-year deals tomorrow with the cap expected to go up. But I think that's important to keep in mind too. So uh, how does that play into things? There will be some deals. You know, they didn't have this uh, speed dating period that they've had in some years gone by, but uh, uh, they do have an opportunity to, uh, you know, agents have been talking, teams have given players a chance to go and talk to other teams. There will always be those deals that are ready to roll out right after the free agent window opens. So uh, I'm expecting activity. You know, I don't know that we're going to see massive dollars spent. I, I wonder if we do see teams sort of take a, a wait and see approach, but there are some teams that have money out there. There are teams that'll have their eye on the prize and we'll see if they can get that locked up. And I'm fully anticipating on a Vancouver Canucks podcast that the Canucks are going to be active and they cleared up a little bit more and every dollar matters, but uh, you know, not qualifying Ethan Bear and not qualifying Travis Dermott. I mean, those are dollars that were on their books for this past season. So they've got a little bit more money to play with. We know that they've got... Uh, uh, needs to fill with this hockey club without a doubt, and they spent a little bit of money on Noah Juleson, and maybe we start right there because I think that's a I think that's a nice signing for them. I, I I like the player, I like what he did at both the AHL and the NHL level for the Canucks last year. Uh, a hometown guy who understands sort of the value of Abbotsford and playing out there if he's in the American Hockey League, but. You know, damn, he played 12 games for the Canucks and didn't look out of place at the NHL level. Now, he was a first-rounder in 2015, so, you know, he had the the pedigree, obviously, coming out of junior and Everett. Uh, didn't really work out for him in Montreal, but uh, he seems to have found a home in the Vancouver system. So, little security for him. Nice price tag at the American Hockey League level, close to 500 grand if he's playing in the minors, but affordable uh, at the NHL level from the team perspective at under a million bucks for each of the two years of the two-way deal. His 20 points in 49 games down at Abbotsford kind of surprises me. I know he's not a big offensive guy, but those are decent numbers. And you're right, he's a big part of that team down in Abbotsford and, of course, being a local product as well. Like, it's just win-win here for the Vancouver Canucks. Now, he will require waivers, and Dolly Wall was tweeting that as well yeah. if uh, he ends up coming up to the big club, but... You know, there's ways of getting around that, and there's a lot of guys that are sort of in his sort of tier that have to clear as well. Well, but I think the the 500 grand at the American Hockey League level, that's something that a lot of teams wouldn't want to pay. Like, most teams have the Noah Juleson's of the world in their system, so I think that's a little bit of insurance that if you're the Canucks, you pay that, but it may prevent some teams from plucking him if he's available. But right shot defenseman, we know there's a premium there. And look, I said it to you that night that I went out to Abbotsford for the playoff game, uh, I thought he was their best defenseman. Like he was physical. He finished every single check. He's mean. He clears the front of the net. And it's funny when I back and look when looked at the twelve games that he played for the Canucks. In fact, this kind of shocked me. And I tweeted this one out. Uh, he only played twelve games, but he was sixth among Canuck defenders in hits in the NHL last year. And Kyle Burroughs doesn't look like he's coming back. OEL is gone. Luke Shen obviously was the hit leader. So of guys that are under contract for next season, Tyler Myers is the only guy above him that registered more hits. He played a dozen games at the NHL level, but, you know, he doesn't shy away from contact. And unfortunately for him, got hurt, uh, you know, he would have played a bunch more games down the stretch there. But remember, he had the activation injury in that warm-up, uh, or even before warm-up, when Kyle Burroughs had to come like racing in on two wheels uh, into the underground garage and race upstairs to suit up and play that night because Juleson couldn't go. Uh, but that told you something, too, that at that point in the season, Noah Juleson was in the lineup ahead of a guy like Kyle Burroughs, who's been here for a couple of years. So I think Rick Tockett and Adam Foote, like, I think, you know, they value what he brings. And, you know, Philip Ronick will bring a little bit of a physical presence. He's not going to shy away from contact either. But I do think for Noah Juleson... Uh, there's a possibility that uh, this guy could be on the opening night roster. Like, I don't know that he's in the opening night lineup, but I do think that if all goes well, he has a good camp. Uh, he could break training camp, you know, on the big league roster to start the season. Uh, qualified today by the Canucks, Akito Hirose, uh, Nils Hoaglander, and Vitaly Kravtsov. Not qualified, as you mentioned, Travis Dermott, Ethan Bear, and Carson Folk. So 
there you have it with the Canucks. Not really a lot of surprises there. Didn't think that they were going to qualify Travis Dermott, and hopefully Travis Dermott can uh, get it back to playing pro hockey again. Uh, we also thought the same with Ethan Bear, but kind of interesting that they qualified Vitaly Kravtsov, but at the same time, too, it's an asset that they probably just want to keep a hold of, right? That's all it is. You just maintain his rights, and if he decides he wants to come back to North America, you see where he is. Has he developed? Has he you know, changed it all as a player, and then you have sort of first right of refusal. So I think that's just standard operating procedure there. The bear one is murky because of the injury, and I'm really curious. Like, is there a market for a right-shot guy that people know can play in the NHL, but he's not going to be available until Christmas time? I wonder if there's a team that has some salary cap space, though, that just says, you know what? Like, let's flick him a little bit of money on a one-year deal, get him in the fold, and then whenever he's up and running— you know, we'll have a player who could be pretty serviceable for us. Uh, that said, I can't imagine that there's going to be this massive rush to get their hands on a player who is just coming off shoulder surgery a couple of weeks ago. So I, that one's going to be interesting to me. Uh, he is now an unrestricted free agent. And I don't know that the Canucks have entirely closed the door. Like, I think they tried to squeeze him and it didn't work. But there's nothing to say that Bear, you know, sits on the market and realizes that maybe this is the best place for him uh, to continue to rehab and recover. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't really have a gut sense of how that's going to play out, but it is going to be fascinating to see an injured player. We don't usually see that. A guy, like, long-term uh, injured, but heading to the open market on July 1st. So, uh, be interesting if there's a, a pursuer or two for Ethan Bear. Yeah, I was told from a source that uh, they they make an offer to him that the agent did not like at all. So I'm just wondering about, you know, the relationship there and, you know, whether they might have sullied that a little bit by lowballing the player. But we'll have to see. I mean, again, Ethan Bear has to realize the situation that he's in as well and it's why teams business. would hesitate. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's business. Exactly. The Canucks, you know, that money, as I said, like now they have that money to go and, and spend in the marketplace for somebody that can help them right out of the gate. Ethan Bear cannot help them in October, November, December. And so uh, every dollar matters. I hope it works out for Ethan Bear. And I echo your sentiments on Travis Dermott. I, I really wish, like, he seemed like such a good dude. I, and I didn't really get a chance to be around him much. Didn't get a sense of who he was. Uh, I liked the acquisition when they made it, but it was tough to watch. I was there at UBC last year during training camp or preseason when, you know, he got hit. You could tell he was hurt and struggled off the ice and down the hall. And really, that was the last we kind of saw of him. I know he played a handful of games, but he was never fully right. And, you know, youngish guy still. I, I hope that he is healthy enough to land somewhere to continue his hockey career. But again, I just don't, the Canucks couldn't afford to uh, commit to him. And so they turned the page and now it's a little bit of a blank canvas because as they sit here the day before free agency, you got Quinn Hughes, you've got Philip Ronick, you've got the last year of Tyler Myers, you've got Noah Juleson. And that's essentially it. Uh, Herkorosi is going to need a contract. Uh, I guess they've got Breezeball under contract as well and Rathbone, but you know that leaves this door open to perhaps pursue two NHL defensemen in unrestricted free agency. Yeah, we'll get to free agency in just a moment. You got a piece up on the hockey news today uh, where you zero in on some affordable guys. I like that mm-hmm. part of it as well yeah. because you could try to go big game hunting, but if you don't have the money in your pocket. It ain't going to work for you. How about this, though? A few buyouts today. Mike Riley, uh, Kyler Yamamoto, and Matt Duchesne. Out of those names, Mike Riley might be an interesting piece for the Canucks to maybe uh, take a sniff at. Yeah, a veteran guy that uh, has bounced around a couple of times, uh, Minnesota and Boston, among others. Um, yeah, you know, I think at, at one point down the stretch, when it looked like you know he was probably going to be available, that I think he had been linked to the Canucks. So we'll have to wait and see. Um you know, it wouldn't be a flashy signing at all. But, uh, you know, this is a team that obviously needs help on the blue line. Um, could he step in? Yeah, probably. So we'll see where it goes with him. But, uh, yeah, I don't think the Canucks are going to be in on a guy like Matt Duchesne. Interesting that uh, Nashville is willing to, you know, withhold the money they did on Ryan Johansson and then to buy out Matt Duchesne. So clearly Barry Trotz trying to, you know, put his stamp on that organization right away and change a little bit of the culture and... Uh, I, mean, I still think Duchesne can play in this league. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, now that he gets a buyout, like, you know, he can pick and choose his spots. He won't have to seek a big contract. And so maybe there's a team out there that, uh, you know, will get a bargain on Matt Duchesne and he can step right in and, and do his thing. But, you know, he's not a penalty killer. He did no penalty killing in Nashville last year. 
Uh, and I do think if the Canucks are looking at centermen in unrestricted free agency, I think that special skill set this year is going to be the premium that that they're looking for. Yeah, not only that, I think the contenders will become sniffing around at yeah. uh, Duchesne as well. And, and I think that's obviously where he'd be interested in going. Going back to Riley for just a moment, he'll be 30 in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, he has a bit of BC connections. Played one yeah. season with the Penticton V's. And boy, was it a season as well. 83 points in 51 games. Now, of course, he's uh, played in the NHL for quite a while now. He's uh, 339 games. But yeah, he might be a guy that could fit for the Canucks in 6'1", 200 pounds. Like that fits what Rick Tockett's looking for. Uh, We'll see if the Canucks... I'll try to pursue him in free agency. Now, your piece up on the... Could the BC, would the BC Lions loan him a Yeah, there a you go. <laughs> yeah, we got one already made for you here. <laughs> uh, your piece up on the hockey news, focusing in on some affordable uh, free agents. Now, some of these names we've talked about, Nick Buskstad is on your list, Alex Kerfoot, Michael Bunting. Uh, we went through those guys before. And on the blue line, Carson Sosi and Ian Cole. But Ryan Graves, an interesting name that you've got there, as well as Scott Mayfield. So those two guys, let's start there on the blue line, because it feels like the Canucks are probably going to start to fill out on the blue line. But they do have that 3C position that they got to fill as well. But let's start on the blue line with Graves and uh, Mayfield. Well, you just look at New Jersey for a sec. I mean, they already parted with Damon Severson, and now... It looks like Ryan Graves is going to walk to free agency. You can do that when you have Luke Hughes and Simon Nemich, you know, two top five defensemen in their draft classes, ready to step right into the NHL. So uh, that Devils team, they've got their act together. There's no doubt about it. And that's why they're able to turn over uh, guys that have played and played a lot. But Ryan Graves, 28, big, skates well. And just looking at the Devils, they were the fourth best penalty killing team in the National Hockey League. It's never one guy, but you're coming from a system where... Clearly, it was effective on the penalty kill. And so I like that about Ryan Graves, who was second on that team in ice time uh, as a penalty killer last season. So he played a big part of a very successful penalty kill. That intrigues me. And, you know, he might be able to fetch a little bit more than the Canucks can afford to spend. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, but I just, you know, I I don't think you're looking at $6 million a year. But I do think that there will be some teams that are after his services, just his age, his size, his mobility, all those types of things, and the pedigree. Scott Mayfield really interests me. And I just wonder if he's only been an Islander. And there's one thing about familiarity, but there's also, like, there is life after the island. Uh, Ask a bunch of guys that have, you know, played there under uh, Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello and others. Like, I wonder if he would look for a change of scenery. But the guy's huge, 6'5", 220. He had 24 points last year in a stifling Islander system. And again, you're not looking for him to bring a bunch of offense, but it does make you wonder, like, is there some more there in a different kind of system? But again, uh, experience. They went to the Eastern Final twice. He was durable. He played all 82 games for the Islanders last year. You know, big. um, To me, right side. Like, he would check a lot of boxes for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, I know that there was a report earlier in the day that there had been a last-ditch effort between the Islanders and Mayfield's camp to get something done. But uh, as we record, uh, it hasn't happened yet. So he may get to the open market. So, yeah, I mean, we've spent time talking about Carson Soucy. There are enough reports out there uh, linking the Canucks and Soucy. But... You know, if there are other teams involved, that doesn't mean that uh, he's going to wind up with the Canucks. But I, I am expecting Ian Cole. I, like, I haven't seen him attached to anybody else here. And it just kind of feels with the Pittsburgh connection and the Stanley Cups, uh, the fact that he's versatile, he can play both sides. You know, I guess I'm getting to the point where if they landed Cole and Susie, you know, could Ian Cole be the caddy for Quinn Hughes? He's a left shot guy, but could he play the right side? And then you could have Susie and Philip Hronick as you know, your second pair, and then you're looking at rounding out from within sort of uh, the bottom pair for the Vancouver Canucks. So, you know, again, let's see what happens when the free agent window opens, but those are some of the guys certainly on the back end that are going to be available, I think, and they're the kinds of players, uh, most of them with penalty-killing pedigree that should interest the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I wonder, though, if the price that um, these guys are going to, you know, Ian Cole could maybe command and or Carson Soucy as well. We've gone over the uh, price for him. Mayfield kind of feels like he would be the right fit in terms of the price. Um, I know I spoke about him early in the season. We were batting around Brock Besser potential yeah, trades. I remember. And I think I had Mayfield uh, in that as well. Again, to get both those guys might be a bit of a stretch because you do have to fill that 3C position. And 3Cs are not cheap nowadays. Like, yeah. you got, they got to be someone that can, you got to be able to score a little bit too. And I look at a name like we talked about Bukestad. Bukestad seems like a real good 
fit if the Canucks are going to try to go for a guy right shot center. But Alex Kerfoot, it could be a guy as well. You know, West Vancouver native probably will get him cheaper than what he has been paid in the past because he did have a down season in Toronto, but the guy kills penalties. He's also versatile to play in the top six, which he did uh, for quite a while with Toronto, actually, before they sort of fleshed out their roster over the last couple of years. You know, Kerfoot could be that guy, but looking at that position, like, what are, what are you going to pay there? Like, what's your breaking point, really, for a 3C? Right, and I guess it depends. Like, could you get two defensemen at three million per on you know a couple of year deals and then do the Canucks with these other moves do they have two million to address the third line center position you know is two million going to get you what you're looking for as a third line center you know it gets a little dicey it does but you know maybe there's efforts behind the scenes to continue to clear cap space we don't know they have a better sense on Tanner Pearson and Tucker Pullman and the long term and all that kind of stuff so uh, you know I, I think the, the Canucks have enough financial wherewithal to probably get three guys but it's how do the numbers shake out and how does it all break down but you know Kerfoot at 28 uh he's got a place to stay in West Van because his dad nice place too well, his dad owns, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know he's a year removed from a 51 point season now that's a high scoring Toronto team and you take that into account but you know when he was put in positions he was able to play with good players and and produce so you're right uh you know the guys that I was writing about you know, I made sure to look how many of them were penalty killers, and Kerfoot certainly did do some penalty killing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And yeah, I mean, look, local guys, there's obviously that natural link, but he has been tied to the Canucks in the past, and so uh, I wouldn't discount that one at all. It's kind of been quiet around him. I haven't heard his name floated. Like, I haven't seen him linked to anybody else. So uh, yeah, let's see what happens and see if uh, Alex Kerfoot is, in fact, you know, a legitimate free agent candidate for the Vancouver Canucks. You got two other centers on the list in Puyas Suter and Teddy Bluger, but I just want, I want to talk about bunting for just a moment because if the Canucks were not in the situation that they are in terms of the amount of money that they've got loaded up on the wings right now, that'd be a guy I think the Canucks should go for. He's a pain in the ass. Uh, he really is and he's got a goal scoring touch so he would be uh, I would be interested if I were the 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 Canucks and I had the you know money and the opportunity for him just doesn't seem like they have that right now and their hands are tied with uh, Connor Garland and or uh, Brock Besser right now so let's look at Bluger and and Suter as well uh start with Suter there a 27 year old Swiss born center Uh, what do you like about him well he's an interesting character because he's only played three years in the National Hockey League he broke in with Chicago and then he wound up in Detroit for two years 14, 15, and 14 goals. Like, you know, we're not talking about a guy that scored six goals. Like, he's been basically a 15-goal scorer in all three of his seasons on bad teams. Like, the Blackhawks have been terrible and the Red Wings haven't been very good. So there's been a consistency to his offense, but he also, I think, was third among Red Wing forwards in shorthanded ice time. Now he's a left-shot center, so that's not ideal. And his face-off numbers aren't great, but... Uh, the people that have studied him and really broken down his numbers suggest that he is a better-than-average penalty killer, even with not great face-off numbers. So, you know, I think that's kind of what powers this, is that he's 27, so he's sort of in that age, and he just turned 27 this spring. And he's got the offensive chops that we've talked about, that, you know, you're not getting a black hole of offense just to get a penalty killer, that this guy has been able to manage some offense. He had a couple of shorthanded goals for the Red Wings this year, um, and you know, pretty low-key, doesn't have a huge profile. I don't think a lot of people in hockey truly know a lot about him, undrafted, uh, but has come over and, and held his own, you know, in three years in the National Hockey League. So he's kind of intriguing to me, a bit of a dark horse there, uh, but he's going to land somewhere, and the Canucks need penalty-killing help, so I think they could do a whole lot worse than Pius Suter. Uh, I was going to say to you, though, at 3.25 is what he made of the, on his last contract, like, where do you think he comes in at? Because, like, those numbers, those are the kind of numbers that you're looking at going, yeah, like, if you can get 15 goals from your 3C, right. giddy up. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, would, you know, three years in the league, two different teams. Like, is this a guy that would like to settle down somewhere and maybe you get him for three years and get him a bit of term and keep the dollars manageable? You know, I don't know, ultimately, kind of what kind of market there's going to be for him. But, but I do think the Canucks absolutely should be you know, sticking their nose in that pile just to see if there is a fit there. You know, Teddy Bluger, the Pittsburgh connection is obvious. Uh, not a ton of offense, but, you know, he wound up in Vegas, played six games in the playoffs for the Golden Knights as a Stanley Cup champ now. And the connections to that Penguins, I mean, he was a second round pick of the Penguins way back when. Uh, again, a left shot guy. So I'm you know, that's not exactly what the Canucks are looking for, but... The offense, though, just scares me away. 
The lack of, that is. Right. Now, I guess the one thing there is that, you know, this guy averaged more than two minutes of shorthanded ice time last season across a couple of teams. So that tells you that, uh, you know, he was used and used often as a penalty killer. Uh, I didn't realize till this year he's Latvian. So he's got Archer Silovs in the organization. Um, Teddy Bluger's Latvian? Teddy Bluger is Latvian, yeah. Wow. I know. Oh, See the things you learn here on Required. There you go. Even I'm learning things. Awesome. Yeah. But you're right. I, I, I'd like a little more bump offensively yeah. from that third line center. And so that's where, uh, to me, Bukestad just, again, the size is undeniable. I know he turns 31 here this summer, but you're not looking at a five-year project with Nick Bukestad. It's probably a two-year deal till some of those guys in Abbotsford can you know develop and step into the NHL. Right shot, had 17 goals between Arizona and Edmonton. You know, he's a career 50% guy in the faceoff circle. He wants a 24-goal score, but he was also a first-rounder. You know, he's not that player anymore. But he was top 40 among all NHL forwards in total shorthanded ice time this past season. So that tells you that he was a workhorse shorthanded. Uh, I, I think that he fits the bill. And, and you know, he's, he's big. He's not physical, physical, but I don't think he shies away from contact either. I just think he's a guy that can lean on other players at his size and grind them down and probably win some face-offs just on, you know, brute strength alone, just because he's that much bigger than the guy on the other side of the face-off dot. Yeah, I, I think you're selling me on Bukestad right now. I think that's really the guy that they, they should focus in on. We'll see, though. There's a bunch of teams probably uh, thinking yeah. the same thing right now uh, with Nick Bukestad. Hey, maybe you're thinking about buying a new car. J-Pat. If you are, you should be checking out our friends at the Applewood Auto Group because you know what? It's all good. At Applewood. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. Kicking off a long weekend, and of course, it is a Friday, so Patrick Johnson is here with us on Rinkwide Vancouver. PJ, how are you? Oh my goodness. Are we doing this again? Remember last year, it was Canada Day, it was a Friday, and we didn't think anything was going to happen? Or no, because that was the other thing. Like, free agency was like July 7th or something, right? Because we were still playing catch-up. So July... Calendar is back on its axis this year. Yeah, July for a very... I forgot how annoying this is. I'm very much one of those people like, let's do it midweek. Let's not have it on a holiday. The fact I had to get, I mean, I am going to complain. Yes, I am going to complain about my nice, cushy sports media job. The fact that I had to get out of the pool to deal with Brock Besser's contract completely missed Patrick Alvin's Zoom call. Um, I, anyway, I know, I know, at least I know I'm going to be busy this year. I, I, have, I had to, you know what? I know it's going to be a busy morning. And I'm just, just nothing, come on, nothing after lunch. Like, just let's get through it. First, let's just get everything clear right off the hop. Give me, you know, a couple hours, and then we can all spend time with our family. That's all it is. It's a claim. It's not a complaint about the job I have. It's a complaint. It's, it's, a, it's a request to think of our families. Think of our families who deal with us at the, for the rest of the year, and this is, this is the one day, you know, come on. This is, Some guy this, is digging a ditch listening to this podcast right now. And mother asking you so hard. <laughs> asshole. Hey, he doesn't have to work on it. Somebody's working on Canada. That is true. All right. Uh, well, of course, the NHL draft has come and gone now. And, um, well, just tell us your thoughts on, on the draft by the Canucks. I know I saw you tweeting about it a little bit. And I know that uh, you're referencing our buddy, J.D. Yeah. Kirk, who we talked about a little bit yesterday, who says he was underwhelmed yeah. by it. And, of course, he's the prospects guy. Yeah. But what did you think? Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, I am in – I get the take and I get the response. And I and – I, 
I think a lot about, uh, Cam Sharon and I have been talking a lot about this, trying to understand and think about later rounds in the draft. Because I did this five-part five, uh, review of Canucks drafting from 2015 to 2019, which it, you know is a really interesting transitional period. Chap, to be clear, in case people want to know, Paul Chapman, my boss, was like, you know what, you can't judge a draft till like five years after. I'm like, absolutely. So let's work back. So we'll go, we'll go 2019, which is you know essentially five drafts back, and we'll work our way... Um, work our way back. Let's go back five years. Just go back to 2015. And and you can. it's just such an interesting window into sort of how the Canucks evolved their draft board. You know, obviously 2015 is the second Benning draft. So when he gets Brock Besser, gets Guillaume Brisebois, um, you know, it's, it's, but it's a, it's a draft that has warning signs in it. Because, of course, 2014, really, in the end, Benning comes in. He's supposed to be this great, the super scout, um, five guys from the 2014 draft played in the NHL. Now, you can obviously have issues with picking Jake Vertanen over Ehlers or, or Nylander, um, but we move to 2015 and we start seeing, you know, just weird stuff, weird weird takes, if you will. And, um, you know, coming off the back of a period where, listen, we all know Mike Gillis, the Mike Gillis era for drafting, pretty terrible. Um, but they, in 20, you know, in 2012, 2013, were starting to try things. They were trying to figure out how to make the draft work better. Now, they didn't do, obviously, do a very good job of it. Alex Malay being, being the best sort of example of this. But, you know, you look at what we're trying to do, what the Canucks are trying to do. Adam Gaudet, 2015, is the other guy. Um, you know, but there's just some weird darts thrown. And then by 2016, obviously, that's a you love you year. That's a disaster. There's nobody else that's come out of that. Lockwood got hurt. Um, the rest of it, there's some weird stories in each of them. We move into 2017. It's Judd Brackett, 2018. Judd Brackett, 2019. Judd Brackett. But we're starting to get pushback those latter two years. But there's a bunch of guys that have played. Like 2017, I've said this before. Five guys from that draft have played in the NHL. It's a development story. It's not a draft story. And so to come back to what Cam and I were talking about is really what we need to understand better is what kind of players are you picking in the later rounds? Because, yeah, you should, you know, I think the instinct is, yes, take big swings on guys that have points. But I thought a little bit about what Todd Harvey was saying um, in his post-draft press conference. And, the, and you know, they're obviously I wasn't there, but, you know, kudos to the guys that work because they pressed him a little bit. on. He's like, none of these guys score. Like, why do you think any of these guys, these guys don't have any obvious scoring talent. And he goes, you know, and and, and he, he said something interesting, and I wish I'd been there to press him a little bit on it because he talked about smart. He said, you know, in a sense, it sounded like he was trying to present smart as an attribute. This is a player that we think can build beyond what they are. Now, I don't know if there's any reason to think that, but if you look at players picked in the later rounds, you know, you go through, I mean, this was the amazing thing. One of the questions we asked in this series was, who else could they have picked with this pick? And you look at how few players, the later you get in the draft, it really is true. How rare there are, really, there are really other realistic options. And so we get so hyped up about, you know, you look at yesterday. Obviously, a lot of reaction was, okay, Vlander is a great choice. I'm sorry, I still haven't learned how to say his name. The second guy. Um, even Todd Harvey said, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, thank you. Play by there's there's your WHL play by play man, um, uh, you know. But but you know, good pick. Everyone liked that pick. And then after that, it's all this. I think the sort of outside view or the the sort of analyst view is like a lot of really weird choices. Players that weren't on the list. Um, you know, a couple centers that uh, you know an overage center from a nothing program, a guy who was on a high-scoring USHL team who couldn't, but wasn't scoring at a high, you know, like there's all these weird signals, um, you know, and maybe Aiden, Aiden Celebrini, like, you know, pick, his brother's obviously amazing. His dad is this like physical, you know, physical uh, development guru. You know, maybe there's worth taking a look. He's going to be you. He's going to, you know, there, there, anyway, there were, there were, there were sort of things in this that were kind of like, huh? And I sat back and, okay, I'm not necessarily saying they did it right, but I do think there's actually more interesting in this um, than maybe people are giving credit for. They are trying a different... It's clear they're taking a different tack. They're saying, we need to think about who can we develop the best versus who is a great big home run swing on an outside 
outside fastball that's you know breaking away from you like it's it's a it, these are tough if you want to extend the baseball analogy drafting in the later third fourth fifth sixth seventh round is really you're facing a really tough reliever and you're just trying to get contact on the ball and i think the canucks are trying to say well the way people have done it to, to this date doesn't seem to work it didn't work for them for a long time it worked a little bit better in a recent era with a different um philosophy in the draft um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, it's going to be one to watch. I'm not saying it's going to work out, but that's to me, I, at least I found something interesting or different. At least I think there's something interesting or different. I might be wrong. Well, I think to follow on that, like it, it feels like this management group has built the funnel in the development system that has been lacking for the better part of a decade. And now it's going to be a question of, you know, what do they do with that funnel, like as you said, they, they think they've identified identified some players. What are they going to do with it? And and the reality is, is that when you're drafting late in the round, I mean, in the end, most of these guys do never make it. So there is a mentality in a certain level that you do also want. I, I kind of get that you want to get guys that are going to help your a, AHL team good, be good because you at least need guys to play with your better prospects, and you might as well have decent character people. That said. I, it, to me, that leads us to a bigger discussion about the draft itself, and this is what Cam and I have been kind of chewing on. It's sort of like, you know, is again, is the draft still too long? I know they, they actually talked a little bit about this on on the NHL Network broadcast on the, yesterday, I noticed. They sort of talked, you know, they were in the seventh round, and they were kind of like, you know, and a couple of guys were like, oh, no, no, it's still interesting. And you're like, yeah, I guess, but there's just, there's such little result coming out of that round. Um, you know, and you're just, and, and the fact that after about pick 20, 25 teams' lists start to diverge, you know, most teams only have like a hundred names on their list and by, they, they never even get to like 50 or 60 usually. Um, you know, it's, it, it's so different from how drafting works in the other three major sports, you know, football, obviously these guys are coming out of college. They're ready to play. You know, almost every one of your guys is going to be an option, Baseball is obviously a wild west, but they've also changed the development model in baseball. So the way they're doing it is different. NBA obviously is two rounds, and most of the you know, you, you know, those guys are ready to play for the most part. So it it is different. You know, maybe the later rounds, what you really need is you just need you know, eighteen year olds can only go in the first round, and then after that, it's it's a you're drafting older kids. Maybe you're going to make it more worthwhile. It's a less of a guessing game. Maybe that's it. I. I don't know, but that that's a that's a discussion for I'm sure another podcast in another day. What do you make of? I mean, of all the sort of mid round picks, to me the the giant winger out of Sweden is intriguing just based on his size. Alrikson, I guess his name is Vilmer. You know, the numbers aren't there for a guy playing senior hockey that should just be able to lean. You would think on on his opponents in that same age group, but you can't teach size, and so it will be interesting to see. I mean, that one felt like a little bit of a flyer, but. You know, from a, a different tact, at least, of trying to take a guy with outrageous size. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, they're inherently, by that point, they're always going to be a Flyers. There was a lot. That was the pick, I think, that I scratched my head the most on. Because I just look at, you know, okay, huge kid, great. But, like, he only scored 12 goals. No, no. You know, he played J20 last year. Like, th- those are the kind of things you're just like, either he has it or he doesn't. You know, like... Like there is enough, you know. At least, at least that the you know, there's two centers, Perkins and Mueller. Like, at least they did put some points up. You know, um, both of them are good skaters, and 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 you know, find a good skater, and you can that that's the hardest one to to to, to you know really truly develop. I mean, you can develop your skating a little bit, but if you come in already as a good skater, you can probably figure out a few other things and make yourself a bit more useful. Um, the the concerning thing for me in the end to go back to the Harvey, I'm not saying he was, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to butter him up too much. I did, like I said, I did think it was interesting how he talked about attributes and smarts. Um, the thing that still concerned me was, you know, the sort of, Oh, well, you know, this guy's going to be a third line center essentially because he can't score, or this guy's going to be a five, six defenseman. Like I guess, but you can find those guys. Like you should, this is the counter argument. You should be, taking big swings because you're trying to find, you're not going to find Braden Point. Like, that's the other thing to understand is that everybody's gotten better at, everyone has gotten better at the top end of their list, and you look at the hit rates in the first and second round now, and it's so much better than it used to be. So you're not finding Braden Point. 
but you're still trying to find, you know, to use Canucks examples, you're still trying to find Yannick Hansen or Alex Edler, like those guys that are off the radar but have more potential than other people realize. And I, I'm just not sure that even if this guy is six foot six, the fact he's only scored 12 goals, um, you know, I, that, that, I find that just a head-scratcher, that one. Well, they picked seven guys, and only one of them is in the first two rounds. So maybe they should stop trading away these second-round picks, or perhaps maybe they should have taken that deal that uh, where they could have uh, traded back and be able to pick up an extra pick here because everything you just explained there, you're finding talent in the first and second round, and everything else is a crapshoot. Yeah, you know, I mean, that was the thing. I went back and looked. So do we go back to 2010, the famous, you know, <laughs> well, actually, I guess it's before Raymond Ballard in a third, but, you know, that's the year they traded. They traded for Keith Ballard. They traded um, Michael Gravner away. You know, Mike Gillis had only, you know, they didn't pick till like the third round. And, um, you know, that, that was kind of, that's, yeah, 2010, right? So, or sorry, they didn't pick till the fourth round. And the, they had literally one NHL game out of the 2010 draft, Alex Friesen. Um, and, you know, obviously that's a year where you should be pushing your chips in and you should be going for it. So, it, you know, it is a bit of a, bit of a, I think, a not straightforward thing to say. But anyway, starting with that year, coming to this year, so 14 drafts, Canucks have picked in the second round seven times, including twice um, in uh, 2017, right, when they got Gadjevic and, uh, and uh, where is he? Colin that year? Uh, yeah, Colin. Yeah, thank you, right? Yeah. So, you know, just a reminder, like, like when the Canucks have picked in the second round, like, here's your list of guys in the last sort of decade. You want to talk about, I mean, Alex Malay is the, the, the poor example but you've got uh, you've got Thatcher Demko, you've got uh, you've got Colin, you've got Jonah Gadjevich. Um, Jet Wu hasn't. They're still hopeful in Jet Wu, but you have Niels Hoglander, um, and then Daniel Klimovich. and like. But most of those guys have played in the NHL, right? Like that's these guys are good enough to make the NHL. The task then becomes making them into NHLers, um, and obviously Klimovich is still a project. Um, I think you can still look at that one, and we all know that Stan Coven was the guy that probably they should have gone with. Um, but, you know, Klimovich still has a chance. I don't think he's been quite written off yet, although I didn't see much of him. You know, I wasn't impressed all that much by what he did in the playoffs, which wasn't much of anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is, there is a guy, like, you want to talk about stocking your roster with, with solid players. Obviously, Hoaglander still has to find his way a little bit, but, but, there's a long list of guys that make make your team, and that's those are the depth guys. That's where you should be finding your depth guys. And once again, no second round pick. Um, I I was surprised they didn't. I mean, I I get that they were excited about Vlander and they were worried he wouldn't be there at you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, whatever. You know, I think it was whatever it would have been. I I think it was. I think there was what Arizona was thirteen and. Uh, Arizona was twelve, Buffalo was thirteen. Sorry, Buffalo was thirteen. Yeah, so we saw them talking to Buffalo. We know about that, and I, I'm, we'd we'd heard lots of noise about Nashville. I think Nashville is still in the mix there, trying to move up. Um, you know, would wouldn't Vlander have been there at fifteen? I don't know. It probably would have been there at thirteen. Um, but anyway, I, in the big picture, that's why I asked Patrick Alvin at the deadline if he, you know, was disappointed he hadn't been able to recoup a second. He'd given away a second. You know, he was so excited about all that. Um, but but trading away a second round pick, I, I still was. It, it, it's been such a constant theme with this team, despite the fact that the last two GMs have been supposed super scouts and super drafters. Um, constantly capping yourself at the knees has just been such a baffling trend for this team. And when it comes to finding players, what about the uh, schedule? It uh, got released, and I saw you writing about it. What stands out to you? Well, I didn't go quite as deep as Jeff. Nobody does. Um, Nobody Jeff, ever does. No, but but that's that's the thing. That's the thing about Mr. Patterson. The thing, you know, I kind of I, I the thing that stood out to me right away was well, there were a couple things. The the the, the fact they actually have all these rest days in the first month, which I think actually is to their advantage. They've got I think five sets of two days off between games, which you know early in the year, like that's you're trying to find your feet, like that kind of stuff. I think does actually matter. Um, you know, the, the, you know, obviously we remember the beginning of the COVID 2020, 2021 season when they had the insane schedule and put themselves under, you know, they put themselves under the gun and they dealt with a bunch of sort of, I think, wear and tear injuries very early on and never caught up. Um, so, you know, this is the counter of that. Um, I look at that seven game road trip that they have mid season, like that's going to be, that's just a long time. 
Um, you know, every year, obviously, they have a five, a couple five or five gamers, you know, maybe a six gamer, a seven gamer. I mean, I can't even remember the last time they, I didn't actually go look. I know it's happened before, but I couldn't remember the last time that they'd had a long trip like that. There's just a long time to be away. It's just draining mentally. Um, and then, and then obviously they've got that homestand in March, but the overall fact that, you know, they closed the season with, I think seven to 10, it was divisional games. I know if you stretch it out, it's even more than that. They've got a ton of divisional games to close out the season. Um, if they are in the mix, which, you know, I think there's a reason to think they'll at least be on the edge of it. Um, it could be an exciting finish to the season. It's, it is what, um, it is what they've wanted for a long time and if you're in the business of selling tickets this is one way to sell tickets um so yeah we'll we'll see how that plays out but those are the three things that stood out to me and i guess we'll see who they're going to ask people to spend money on tickets to see when they get to free agency here on saturday we've already laid out that uh, you're hoping to be on the beach by midday so <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, do you think they show restraint i mean obviously they're they're handcuffed uh, yeah they don't have a lot to spend but you know, this is a new regime. It's not the last group. And so we have to give them an opportunity, I suppose. Uh, do you see them spending prudently? Prudently is such an interesting... Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. Um, I mean, would it, prudently on the right guys or just in terms of raw dollars, you know? Right guys, I'm not so sure about. In terms of raw dollars, I mean, I think they are a bit more... Con- I mean, obviously, I think they're more conscious of that. The, the fact that they are once again in this flat cap world, that that's been the, the area they've been operating in. Um, they did obviously buy themselves room with the OEL move, but they don't have a ton of room. And the fact that they didn't pull off any, I mean, maybe they're still going to pull off a deal. Who knows? But the fact they didn't pull off any deals, Connor Garland's still here. Um, it, you know, the, uh, yeah, I, I stand by my prediction that I think they're likely to sign a tall defenseman. Um, or, <laughs> Um, I say, like I said, very tall. Um, you know, I mean, you look at the names they've been linked to. You look at Sousy, a guy like that. Um, I heard someone suggest Sidorov was someone they'd kick tires on. Um, you know, the 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 trend is there. Um, I don't think it's going to be Nikita Triapkin, despite Todd Diamond. Uh, Todd Diamond. Uh, sorry, I, I guess Vlander isn't allowed to call him his agent. It's his, his advisor. Todd Diamond's his advisor. So, right. So he's so a friend of his, not yeah. a colleague or a client. Um, anyway, despite sort of him being back in the Canucks' realm, I don't I don't expect that Nikita Trampkin's coming here. I mean, you never say never, I guess. But Dollywell never says never. Yeah, Dollywell never <laughs> says never. Oh, my God, Dollywell going back and forth on, on Twitter about Cal Foot. He thought it was going to And he said, no, I don't think it's going to And I was just like, What? Well, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what the Canucks do over the weekend. Also, too, it's going to be interesting to see how this sort of drags out around the NHL because everybody's trying to create cap space right now. So uh, I wonder if the frenzy isn't going to hit us hard right away, but maybe drag out a little bit uh, as we go through here. But uh, we won't drag you any longer there, PJ. We'll let you uh, get at it and get to your long weekend as well. So thanks for joining. Take care, guys. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Many thanks to Patrick Johnson for joining us as he does each and every week. And here's a presentation of Jason.Mortgage, our buddy Jason Pummel. Yeah, months end for people that may need mortgage renewals and those types of things. Get on it if you haven't already because we're into a long weekend. Uh, hopefully you have a little more forethought because uh, you want Jason on your side here. So ring him up and if you're up for a renewal or you're in the market and we know that uh, things are heating up in the real estate market again, you want the expertise of somebody like Jason Hominick on your side and he's here to help. He can save rink-wide listeners money and who wouldn't want that? Uh, so do yourself a favor. You can find him online, Jason Don Mortgage. Again, his name, Jason Hominick. 
reach out, start with a phone call and see where the conversation takes you. So it's mid-afternoon while we record this here on Friday. So some things could happen here as uh, as we progress through the day. I know some uh, no-move clauses, no trades are kicking in for some people around the league. So there could be some trades brewing. We'll have to see what happens. But uh, before I get to a Bodog line and I'm sticking on a similar theme that I did yesterday, uh, anything that uh, you're expecting here over the next little while, maybe a few hours before free agency actually opens? Well, JT Miller is one of those guys who sees his trade protection kick in on July the 1st, and I don't think uh, there's much chance of the Canucks moving him, but uh, you know, once the clock strikes midnight, it's all in his control. No movement for the first four years of the eight-year extension that uh, will take effect. So uh, fully anticipating that JT Miller will be the second-line center and a top-unit power play guy for the Vancouver Canucks for uh, the foreseeable future. Otherwise, you know, will there be some surprises when we talked about some of those buyouts earlier? I mean, Blake Wheeler, his name had been out there for a while, but still, you know, a guy that put in a lot of years. When you think of Winnipeg and the struggle that the Jets have had over the years to retain players, and that guy put in a dozen years for the Winnipeg Jets. I know it wasn't always rosy and there was some friction at times, but guy played pretty hard for the Jets. And I thought, uh, I don't know if you saw, you know, he posted a pretty, I thought, a heartfelt thank you to the city of Winnipeg. And it'll be fascinating to see where he goes. Uh, you know, does he handpick a a team that, you know, is looking for a veteran that, you know, maybe has a chance to win a Stanley Cup because uh, he was on some decent Winnipeg teams, but obviously didn't have the playoff success that he or that city was looking for. So we'll see where it goes. And yeah, you know, I, look, I, I, all these guys that were bought out, like OEL, I'm going to be really fascinated to see what happens with Oliver Ekman Larson on the first day of unrestricted free agency and another guy that can handpick. Uh, and I hope he does. Like it didn't work out well here in Vancouver. I don't know what's left in his tank, but, you know, don't go pick a rebuilding team at this stage. Like, if there's interest and you have a chance to kick tires with a, a Stanley Cup contender, like, I hope he handpicks a place that uh, he can go and play and, and still help somebody. I I hope that there's some life left in Oliver Ekman Larson. He's a good dude, but uh, that's a guy I'm going to see, you know, it, it, as an asset that's out there for somebody uh, on probably a pretty affordable ticket. Yeah, I've heard some guys uh, out east talking about Oliver Ekman Larson and, and saying, oh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of interest for the player. I'm just curious how much they actually watched OEL, right. though, over yeah. the last little while. Now, again, like the, the league is uh, clearly smarter than some of the talking heads that are uh, broadcasting, but still, at, at the same time, you're right. Like, there is sort of buyer beware. With well, Oliver it's just Ekman funny. Larson. I've seen some people out of the market. They're like, oh, no, you know, team can get Oliver Ekman Larson to come in and give them 16, 18 minutes. I'm like, <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. if, if you think that's the case, like just the speed of the game that's passed him by. Like to me, he's a, th- you know, I think you have to know going in that he's a third pairing guy and you're not expecting, uh, you know, a whole lot more at this stage of his career. But we'll see where it goes. And, you know, he's one of many that's going to be looking for a new hockey home when that free agent window opens up nine o'clock Pacific on Saturday. Hey, just before we get into your best bet, this is the final day of June. It's our final rink wide of June. It also marks the end of five a, a week uh, for us. And we'll, we've, talked about this a little bit, that we're going to slide back here in the summer. We'll still be around. And when things happen, certainly, I mean, that's the beauty of podcasting. Just uh, fire up the machine and away you go and we'll get things out there. We'll cover the Canucks and we'll have the social channels and all those types of things. But I just want to thank our listeners and our sponsors for sticking with us. And when the season ended, we both kind of were like, yeah, like, you know, we're lucky enough that we get to talk hockey for a living. This is what we do. And we do it because there's an audience. And that's not lost on us at all and the feedback that we get. So I just want to take a, th- a sec to thank everybody that stuck with us through, you know, the slow months here. Uh, it was still fun. That's the beauty of a market like Vancouver, that the smallest detail can become a conversation starter and often did here on Rinkwide. So uh, it's been a blast to be doing it with you. We've gone through two years now, over 400 episodes of Rinkwide and already looking forward to next season and you know we'll get a a sense after free agency of you know who's going to be on this roster and what it might look like and all those types of things so you know this is the end of the hockey calendar on june 30th and of course july 1st is then the start of a new hockey calendar and it opens up all sorts of possibilities but i just didn't want to let the moment go by uh because we love the feedback that we get uh, whether it's text whether it's uh, twitter uh, whatever the case, we do this because there is this audience in a mad hockey market like Vancouver. And uh, yeah, already looking forward to next season. 
Yeah, one of the things I like about our, our listeners is even if they disagree about something, we get a discussion going with them, right? There's not, there's, oh, you guys don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like people just, they have their opinions and then we express ours and then we come somewhere in the middle on them. So I love that about our listeners. And yes, I appreciate everybody that stuck with us through this uh, off season for the Canucks. Hopefully we don't have to do uh, no playoff games next year because I'd like to do a, at least a, oh, a few playoff games with this absolutely. Uh, Vancouver Canucks team. Okay, I'm going back to the hot dog eating contest because I'm just absolutely <laughs> get intrigued by this. Now, they got new prop bets up on Bodog. And, of course, Bodog is your source of free casino games, poker strategies, and sports odds. But Joey Chestnut. So the guy intrigues the hell out of me, right? He set a record in 2001 eating 76 hot dogs and buns. 76, J-Pat, in 10 minutes. It's ridiculous. Last year, though, just down to 63. So, are you taking the over or the under on 67 and a half? It's minus 500 for the over, plus 300 for the under. And if you think uh, last year, that under, that's pretty good odds there. Uh, This, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is down in Coney Island in New York. I I need the weather chart. Like, because, you know, if it was like a hot, sunny day, I would think that that would play into this, that that would make it tougher. I don't think it's climate controlled. I don't think they have a dome for uh, the hot dog eating contest. So I, I, I do wonder, like if the temps got up there, you know, breaking out in the sweat, you'd be breaking out in the sweats regardless after about the fourth hot dog, I'd think. Oh my God. Like, I, I'd be lucky to, I, you know, I like my mustard on my hot dog. I'd be taking my time. You talked about him dipping it in the water. I, like each <laughs> They hot, all do. I know, but each hot dog, <laughs> I'd mustard it up. Like <laughs> I, I would not fare well in one of these things. I'm going to take the under. Joey's slowing down. You know, he's still got it. He's still the favorite, but I, I can take the under. All right. Well, it's interesting, too, because, uh, yeah, the second place guy, Jeffrey Esper, he only had 47 last year. So he was probably with your Joey Chestnut. He's probably like, oh, I'm just going to take my time here. Uh, no problem at Joey's all. Joey's a show off, though, right? Like if the second place guy finishes with a 45, you only need 46. Joey's like just smashing yeah. 67. <laughs> Hot dogs. Like, I don't know if you remember Joey. last year, a protester ran up on the stage. Should we just not put him in a chokehold as well? So, <laughs> I mean, just for that alone, it might well, be worth watching. I it. don't want anybody putting Joey Chestnut in a no, chokehold. It's going to come up quick. Watch out. Stand back. Uh, by the way, Coney Island on uh, Tuesday, July yeah. 4th, blazing hot. 28 yeah, so, degrees. Going to feel like right. 30, it says. Yeah, exactly. So, like, are you really in the mood just to, like, mow through, like, multiple hot dogs? I mean, Joey seems to always be in the mood, so (laughs) we'll see where it goes. All right, well, we'll see where the uh, Canucks go with free agency, which opens tomorrow officially 9 a.m. And uh, with the remaining hours of the day here on June 30th, see if anything else happens around the NHL. But this has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast, presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show. Oh,